Now take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 6. The message today is entitled, The Days of Noah, Part 2. Yesterday, I got up early to read my Bible and pray. I love to read my Bible and pray early in the morning. And I was reading in Deuteronomy 17, and I was struck by the fact that in Deuteronomy 17, the living God instructs Moses to give some instruction to the people of Israel before they go into the promised land. In fact, this instruction was exactly what they should do when they had a king. And in Deuteronomy chapter 17, God lays out five clear expectations for the king that they would uh, ordain at some point in their future. Now, it was never God's will for them to have a king, by the way. And what struck me and fascinated me was that the living God was preparing Israel for something that would eventually become a reality. That, by the way, is a consistent trait of God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. As an example, consider the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew 24, verses 36 to 39, Jesus told his disciples, but of that day and hour, his coming, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. So the Lord Jesus referred to the days of Noah to prepare his disciples then and now for the eventual reality of his second coming and God's judgment upon a sick, sin-twisted world. It would behoove all of us to ponder Genesis 6, 1 through 12 to see if there's a correlation between the days of Noah and the days in which we live ourselves. Now, last week, we went over three characteristics of the days of Noah, and I'm going to review those early on in the message, and then I'm going to share with you three new characteristics of the days of Noah, and I want, here's what I want us to do. I want us to line up these six boxes, okay, and I want us to check each of these boxes and see if the days of Noah is comparative to the days in which we live. Now, if all of those boxes are checked, then we should be sitting on the edge of our seat awaiting the return of Jesus and the certainty that one day God is going to judge this world. Now, the first thing we noticed last week about the days of Noah is these were days of rapid progress. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, we're reviewing now. Now, it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them. Now, this is a vivid description 
of a population explosion that occurred early on in the history of the world. Keep in mind that during Noah's days, it was nothing for somebody to live 900 plus years. So there, was many, there were many opportunities for them to have multiple children. And remember this, the time span between creation and the flood is around 656 years. Now, there was also a rapid increase in knowledge and technology. We study in Genesis chapter 4, cities were built. Raising cattle became a reality. Music was composed and metalwork was perfected. So how does Noah's day compare with our day? Well, today the world's population is approximately 7.6 billion people. The increase in knowledge and technology is exploding before our very eyes. Now, I'm going to date myself now, but I just want to remind you of the progress that we've seen technology-wise. When I was growing up, our telephone was on a wall. It wasn't in our pocket. It had a cord attached to it. We lived out in the country and we had a party line. Do you know what that means? That means other parties got to listen in on your, on your conversations. Seriously. And look where we are today. We have in our pockets and in our purses computers that we call phones. And we can do amazing things with these little things that we call cell phones. Uh, I went to El Parton recently, and I was amazed when this little robot comes out with the food. I, I got to be honest with you. In my entire existence, I've never seen a robot come out with food. But the robot came, came out, had, its food, had my food right there. This is a, we're, we're seeing a rapid progress in technology and knowledge in our world today. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, God says to Daniel, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth, travel, and knowledge will increase. That's a prophecy of the last days, and we see it happen before our very eyes. So there's a, a rapid progress that's taking place in Noah's day and in our day. Check the box, okay? Here's the second one, demonic activity. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 2, the Bible says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Now, this verse, as we mentioned last week, has been hotly debated for centuries and even millennia. Some pastors and scholars think that the sons of God refer to fallen angels who lusted for the beautiful daughters of men, had sexual relations with them, and produced a hybrid race of giants that dominated the world with mythical power. That's what some folks believe. Personally, I don't believe that. I don't believe that's the correct interpretation. Others believe that it's just simply the, the marriage that took place between the line of Seth, the godly people, and the line of Cain, the ungodly people. 
And then a third option, the one I prefer, is that these vile demons possess the bodies of men and satisfy their sensuous desires through these demon-possessed men. The descendants of both Cain and Seth were impacted by demonic activity. And these wicked demons were punished by God as is evident in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. The Bible says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. I believe that there's a reason that these demons, these particular group of demons are, are, are imprisoned in a special prison there in hell. They, they brought demonic activity into the world of Noah's day. And then look at verse 4. In verse 4 of Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of men came into the daughters of men and they, the, the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now the term Nephilim is a transliteration of a Hebrew word. And that Hebrew word simply means this, fallen ones. It does not mean giants. It means fallen ones. And I want you to notice that the children that were conceived in this ungodly union between demon-possessed men and the daughters of women were in fact human. They were not some kind of hybrid race of half-human and half-demon superheroes. The Bible says in verse 4, they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown, men who wanted to make a name for themselves, men who were vicious and out to, to, to be the very best they could be and, and accomplish great things for their name, certainly not God's name. Now, it's important that we understand that when you come to a passage of Scripture like this that's been debated for centuries, nobody can be absolutely dogmatic about which is the, the, the correct interpretation. I've chosen my interpretation. I believe I've got solid biblical reasons for my interpretation. But I'm, here's what we do. We, we read something like this and we get fascinated by it. And we, we look for all of the, the, the answers for these issues like the race of giants that, that it talks about in, in the book of Numbers and, and all that kind of stuff. And we miss, we miss the forest for the trees. We miss it. We absolutely miss it. The point of this text today is not that these demons and demonic activity caused this unholy union and caused this, uh, this children to be born out of this ungodly union. But the point of the text is simply this. It's the grace and mercy of God. And I'm going to show that to you in just a moment. Don't get sidelined by chasing um, 
something that you can never be sure about to begin with. But what I'm going to share with you later on this message is something I am absolutely 100% positive that I'm correct about. I've made the correct interpretation. Now, let's, let's consider this. Do you think that we are seeing demonic activity in our day? Do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul wrote this, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of God, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Let me tell you something, folks. We're seeing that take place right now in our culture right now in this world. Our world is absolutely saturated with demonic activity. Do you realize that now in schools there are after Satan club, after school Satan clubs. There is pervasive idolatry. There are false prophets and false teachers. There's the occult, Ouija board, tarot cards, seances, mediums, horoscopes, and people are dabbling in the occult. Many young people are dabbling in the occult. There's demonic activity in our day. Check that box. We've checked two boxes so far. We're trying to make a correlation between the days of Noah and our days. And we've seen that there is rapid progress being made. We've seen, number two, there is demonic activity. And number three is blatant rebellion. Blatant rebellion. Look at verse 3. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. Go back to verse 3. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. Now, I mentioned to you a moment ago that the whole purpose of this text is not to magnify the Nephilim, not to magnify the idea of demon-possessed men coming into women and having children that were ungodly and unruly and demonic in nature. No, not that at all. Here's the whole point. This is an act of unprecedented grace and mercy. God says, I'll not strive with man forever because he is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. You say, well, pastor, How is that magnifying the grace of God? Well, for four generations, and their generations were long, for four generations, God had been warning the people of Noah's day that judgment was coming. Remember, Enoch was a preacher of righteousness. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Noah was a godly man. And God is warning people that judgment is coming. For 120 years, Noah built the ark and preached the righteousness of God. And the spiritual indifference and hard-hearted rebellion of the people of the pre-flood earth were startling, startling. But what about our world? 
What about our world? Is there blatant rebellion in our world today? Ladies and gentlemen, I would propose to you that mockery and hostility are constantly directed to God, to his word, to the gospel, and to true believers who stand for truth and who have biblical convictions. Paul wrote in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. The wind of opportunity to repent for these folks was 120 years. Remember last week I said every, every time one of Noah's hammers hit a nail and it rang out across the world of that day, it was a reminder that God is going to judge the world. Every time the people of Noah's day heard a saw cutting a piece of wood, it was a reminder that God would judge the world. But they turned a deaf ear to God. They had such spiritual indifference. They didn't care. They didn't care about God. They didn't care about the warnings of these preachers of righteousness. Let me ask you a question. Are you prepared for our Lord's coming? Are you? We've checked three boxes so far. The boxes of rapid progress. It was true in Noah's day. It's true in our day. Demonic activity was true in Noah's day. It's true in our day. Blatant rebellion is true in Noah's day. It's true in our day. Well, here's the fourth one. Extreme evil. How bad was it in the days of Noah? Really, how bad was it? I want you to see what the Lord saw. Look in chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's what the Lord saw. Now, I hope and pray you understand that God sees everything. He sees what you're doing. He, he knows what you're thinking. He knows where you go and, 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 and the people that you associate with. He knows everything. And he knows your heart. That's what this verse says to us. The reference here is to sin against God. Notice this. Notice the word intent. Look at it. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The word intent was used in the Hebrew language to refer to, uh, to a potter, to fashion something as a potter would fashion something. It means to develop wicked philosophies espouse filthy causes, and to make vile sins fashionable. Now, this description of Noah's day certainly lines up with our day. Let me just give you some considerations. The ideology of evolution is a wicked ideology. 
It is a broad road leading to destruction. The, the LGBTQ plus movement, perverse music and movies, abortion, child abuse, sex trafficking, the porn pandemic, our world is filled with evil. And Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, from, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. I want you to understand something. Just as a sovereign God saw into the hearts and the minds and the lifestyles of the people of Noah's day, he sees right into our hearts and our minds and our lifestyle today. He knows you. He knows what you're doing. He knows what you're not doing. He knows what you believe. He knows where you compromise. He knows everything about you. Look at verse 6 of Genesis 6. The Bible says something that's shocking. The Bible says the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Verse 7, the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things, to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now, this is not the regret you feel when you realize that you've made a mistake. That's not what it's talking about. God, by the way, God never makes a mistake. He never makes a mistake, ever. It is a picture of a God who had genuinely grieved over the sin that permeated mankind in the days of Noah. Do you realize it grieves God? When he looks into your heart and your life and he sees sin that you refuse to confess and forsake, it grieves the heart of God. Grieve is a love word. God loves us. God loved the world of Noah's day. And they grieve God's heart by their blatant rebellion, their extreme evil. Listen. God is just and holy, and God said as a result of what he saw that he would destroy the world through a flood, and every person beside eight people, Noah and his family, drowned in the flood. You know what, what hit me was how the, the godly line of Seth merged with the ungodly line of Cain and they were all wiped away, all except Noah and his family. Listen, there is a limit to God's grace and mercy. And he's promised to judge the world again. And I must ask you, are you ready? Are you ready for the return of Christ? Are you ready for the day that God unleashes the judgment on this world today? Now, it's not going to be a judgment of flood. It's going to be a judgment of fire. But I'm telling you, the day is coming when God is going to say enough is enough. I'll tell you, we have raised our fist in rebellion against God for a long time. 
Our nation has said, God, we don't need you anymore. We don't need you in the White House. We don't need you in the State House. We don't need you in Congress. We don't need you in the School House. We don't need you anymore, God. We're going to do it ourselves. And I'll tell you, my friend, as a result, we are in a situation. If, if this nation does not repent and turn to God, we're toast as a nation. But thank God. Thank God that if you've repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus, you're in the ark, and the ark is Jesus, right? And Jesus will save you, and Jesus will forgive you. We've sung about the grace of God, about the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God. Praise God. That is much more important than the Nephilim. Much more important. So we got a major on the major. The days of Noah were characterized by rapid progress, by demonic activity, by blatant rebellion, by extreme evil. And all four of those boxes have been checked when you compare Noah's day to our day. Let me ask you, is God preparing us for an eventual reality? I think he is. He's shooting warning shots across the bow of our lives. He's saying, look, time's running out. If you're not saved, you better get saved. If you're not living for God, you better start living for God. If you haven't forgiven somebody who hurt you, it's time for you to forgive somebody who hurt you. If you're not loving your wife as Christ loved the church, it's time for you to start loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Ladies, if you're not submitting to your husband and respecting them, it's time for you to submit to your husband and respect them. If you don't have biblical convictions, it's time for you to develop biblical convictions. It's time to live for Jesus. You say, but pastor, I'm just 15 years old. Let me tell you something. When Jesus comes again, friend, there are going to be a bunch of 15-year-olds who are not ready. There are going to be a bunch of 13-year-olds and 12-year-olds who are not ready. And this, this text is literally screaming to us. Pay attention to God. Listen to God. Turn to God. Repent of your sin. Place your faith in Jesus. Time is running out. And number five, the fifth characteristic of the days of Noah was moral corruption. In verses 11 and 12, the Bible says, Now the earth was corrupt. In the sight of God. And the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Now, what word do you see three different times there? Corrupt. What does it mean? Well, the word corrupt in the Hebrew refers to decay to ruin, to waste. It's repeated three times for emphasis' sakes. We asked ourselves a, a few moments ago, well, what was the world like in Noah's day? Well, it was a corrupt world. In other words, the world of Noah's day had become a garbage dump, a cesspool of sexual immorality and moral depravity. 
Would you not agree with me that our world is morally corrupt? It's rotten to the core. Evil is called good. Good is called evil. God help us. We need to wake up. God is warning us. God is warning us about an eventuality that will become a reality at some point in the future. Jesus is coming again. The end of the world is coming. I remember when I was young, I said, I remember saying this. You probably said it too. I hope Jesus doesn't come until Darlene and I get married. I, I remember saying that. But you know what? Jesus coming is on God's timetable, not ours. And I honestly believe that the text we're studying compared with what Jesus said in the New Testament is God's way of preparing us for an eventuality that will be a reality at some point in the future, and we don't determine when that reality will pop up. we got to be ready. The days of Noah, we check the box, rapid progress. Noah's day, our day. Demonic activity, Noah's day, our day. Blatant rebellion, Noah's day, our day. Extreme evil, Noah's day, our day. Moral corruption, Noah's day, our day. And here's the final one, rampant violence. And I could probably just end the sermon right there, but I'm not. I want you to see what the Bible says in verse 11. And the earth was filled with violence. What was it like in Noah's day? It was violence everywhere. Hebrew scholars have said that this word violence refers to lawlessness or living without the fear or reverence of God. Murder and mayhem ruled the day when Noah was preaching and building the ark. I love what Franklin Graham said. I want to quote what Franklin Graham said. He says, violence is rampant in our streets. Gangs and thugs roam and kill, not only at night, but in broad daylight. Leftist radicals riot, burn police stations and loot city blocks. Drug abuse has soared with fentanyl finding its way into virtually every sector of society, infiltrating rural and metropolitan areas alike. All the tumult and chaos we see in our nation is a direct result of abandoning God and his holy standards. Our nation is besieged by violence. Sometimes I watch the news and I see things that I never thought I would ever see. I, I see innocent people. I saw a young lady, a newscast of a young lady who went to an ATM and she went to another part of the city and she was walking into a store or, or a bank or something. 
And this guy just attacked her. This guy followed her all the way from the moment she got the money out of the ATM all the way to this new place where she was walking on the sidewalk and he attacked her and he body slammed her. He took everything she had and left her paralyzed. She didn't do anything to him. Yet that, that characterizes our nation today, our world today. Uh, in the news the other day I saw where in France, riots are taking place everywhere. You know why? Because they raised the retirement age from 62 to 64. Riots. Murder, mayhem, crime violence. It is everywhere. In Psalm 73, 6, the psalmist wrote, therefore pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. In Psalm chapter 11, verse 5, the Bible says, the Lord tests the righteous and the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. So when we began the sermon today, we considered how God prepares his people for eventualities that become realities. And I tell you, it's, it's true in the Old Testament, it's true in the New Testament. And, and in fact, Jesus demonstrated that in in chapter 24 of Matthew, when he talked about what the world was going to be like when he comes. And he said it'd be like the days of Noah. Therefore, we look, we've looked for a correlation between the days of Noah and our day because we want to make sure that we hear what God is trying to say to us. And I'm telling you, every box is checked. All six of the characteristics of Noah's day is evident in our day. Rapid progress, demonic activity, blatant rebellion, extreme evil, moral corruption, rampant violence. This text is literally crying out for us to pay attention to God. Now, in Noah's day, they didn't pay attention to God. And every human being on the planet besides Noah and his family, were drowned in God's judgment. I tell you, we got to pay attention to what God's trying to say to us, folks. He has a long track record of seeking to prepare people for what will eventually become a reality. I'm going to remind you again of what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Let me just read it again. But of that day and hour... No one knows. I, look, I can't stand up here and tell you when Jesus is coming. I can't. I, I can't tell you when the end of the world is coming, when God's going to judge the world. God knows. Nobody else knows. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. 
For as in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Now, none of that stuff was bad. It's not bad to eat or, or to drink or to marry or give in marriage. We, we might say in our day, in our day, we're, we're playing video games, we're, we're, we're playing golf, we're, we're going to our, our child's a baseball tournament on, on the Gulf Coast, we're, we're, we're going on vacation, we're going to the mountains. All of these things are good. But I'll tell you what we can't do. We cannot allow ourselves to get caught up into the un, in, the, in the undertow of the world system. And not be aware that God is saying something very important to us. We've got to pay attention to God. Now is the time to repent. Now is the time to believe in Jesus. If you're in this room today and you've never repented of your sin, you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I wish I could tell you. I wish, honestly, I could tell you, you, you you'll have 10 more chances. You, you got 10 more years. You got 10 more days. I can't tell you that. I, I can tell you this. It, it's like God is shouting from the portals of heaven, pay attention to me. Look at what's happening in the world. Compare it to Noah's day. Jesus is coming. I'm about to judge the world. Are you saved? Are you saved? If you're not, I'm going to be honest with you. There's no way I'd leave this room today lost. No way. In fact, while the worship team is coming and our staff is coming, I want you in just a moment when we begin to worship and we begin to focus our attention on God, I want you to come to one of our staff members and I want you to tell them today, I've got to be saved. I've got to be saved. I've got to get right with God. Time is running out. I've got to be right with God. And we'll help you with that decision. But I want to say a word to every believer. Let me ask you. If you knew that Jesus was coming this afternoon, the rapture of the church was going to occur this afternoon, what difference would it make in your life? You'd say, I believe this is not only a word to those who are outside of Christ and lost. I think it's a very important word for every born-again believer in this room today. Every born-again believer watching live stream. And God's given us a wake-up call. God's saying to us as believers, it's time you take your faith seriously. It's time that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. It's time that you serve God. It's time that you fear God and you have a profound reverence for Him. It's time that you read your Bible and you pray and you share your faith with those who are lost. You pray for those who are lost and hurting. Now is that time, believer. 
It's time, listen, it's time. If you're not a member of a church, it's time for you to join a church. And if you're not a member of a church and you feel led to become a part of this church, you come to one of our staff members and we'll help you with that decision. So this altar is open for every believer, any unbeliever, you come as God leads you today. But don't fool yourself. And don't let the enemy fool you into, into thinking that you've got plenty of time. Because you may not have another hour. I don't know. It's time to act. It's time to pay attention to God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for the movement of the Holy Spirit in our, in our midst and in our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that people will be saved, that believers will get right with you, that revival would break out in our hearts, and that the things of God would be more important to us than the things of this world. Oh, God, touch us. Use us for your glory in Jesus' name.